This episode is brought to you by Deary's Gymnastics Supply, proudly serving the gymnastics community for over 28 years and the official grip supplier of the U.S. national teams. Find everything at gymsupply.com. Again, that's gymsupply.com. And I said, who here didn't think Courtney would make the mount? Doubted Courtney on the mount. And it was like, you know, I think Audrey, uh, Audrey Bowers put her hand up first. And then, you know, like five or six or seven hands go up, you know, and, um, and I put my hand up that I doubted her. And Courtney's crying, of course, hysterical that it's her fault that we lost the meat, blah, 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 blah. And I said, this is why Courtney missed that mount. So guys, I don't know if you know what it's like to sit in a booth by yourself and talk, but it's kind of weird. And so I want to invite you guys to interact with me. I would love to hear your thoughts on the show. Any suggestions you have, any feedback. So you can always reach me directly. I'm on Facebook and Instagram at Nicole Langevin Consultant and also on Twitter at YouThinkPod. So you got questions, you got comments, let me know. Hello and welcome back to What Makes You Think, the gymnastics season. Today is part two of What Makes Suzanne Yockelin Think. And last week, we got to hear a little bit about Suzanne before the Georgia Gym Dogs and some secrets to the success that they experienced. Today, we will sit back and listen as Suzanne and I discuss some of the most powerful moments in Gym Dog history and perhaps some of the most controversial. So without further ado, here's part two of what makes Suzanne Yachlin think. Are you ready for some videos? Sure. All right. The volume is down, so you can just talk right over what you're looking at and let me know what it makes you think. Okay. <laughs> That's some short hair. Oh, the national championships was at home. Oh, yes. This is so exciting. There's Lucy with her big score and Jay Clark. He looks like a baby there. Here's Corinne Wright. She was the all-around champion, our first all-around champion. She was a tough one to coach. Woo! Talk oh, about yeah. funky. That's what I'm saying. You know, we talk <laughs> about different personalities, but she brought life to the gym every day. Oh, my goodness. Kenny, Kenny. <laughs> oh, it was so exciting to win at home. I can't even tell you how much that meant. Just to have everyone there, my family, um, there's just nothing like it to having everybody who supported you the entire year just be right there and, and feel the love. It was amazing. Look at my face. I have no wrinkles. <laughs> I feel like you look the same with different hair. <laughs> <laughs> definitely different hair. Oh, my. I definitely changed my hair a lot through the years. Oh, it's so exciting. So lots of changes besides the hair. What? Oh, that looks so fun. <laughs> The warm-up suits have evolved quite a lot since then. Those uh, Michelin Man warm-up suits have changed. Oh, my gosh. Well, you know, we liked, we love to be trend makers with everything. You know, Utah was always the trend maker, but we love to. As a matter of fact, in this particular meet, we almost got disqualified. I think it was Greg that tried to get us disqualified for having the sparkle. We were first, and um, they put in some complaint about us at the championships, but um, we were good. But they did. They complained about us and our leotards. Wait, for sparkles on the leotard? Like oh, that wasn't. Yeah. And now look Something at everything. about our leotards. We were the first ones to have that like sparkle thing put in there, like that wow. side thing. Yes. I mean, we never went through to be anything, but you know, it was tried. Everybody was always out to get me for everything. It was funny. Well, that's what happens when you succeed. But no, I wasn't really. We weren't really succeeding that much then. Um, well, you you feel, must have been a threat. 
Well, yeah, well, we were fifth in the country and um, UCLA was number one and supposed to win. And I remember this was so exciting because we were on floor and then we had a bye and UCLA was next. And oh my gosh, it was so close. It came down to Kim Hamilton um, and she was last up. And, you know, it was funny because she did. I remember this so precisely. She did a double, a triple turn or a double turn or something in floor team and she fell out of it every time in warm-ups. I remember walking by and seeing her fall out of it, fall out of it. And uh, she needed like a nine, nine, two, five or something to win the national championship. Oh, is that all? Yeah, it was when she had gotten it many, many times and she was last up. We were sitting on the the side, you know, holding hands. I I can't stand being on a bye in the last rotation. And um, she fell out of that stupid turn again. And I thought, oh my God, why didn't they take that out? Anyway, I wouldn't have taken it out either. But she, uh, she, she got like a nine, nine and we were like one, one by quarter of a tenth. Yeah. Those are that's, the best. And that's, that's college. That's what it is. Right. I, I mean, it, that, yeah. that between a nine, nine and a 10 is, yeah. is like in, I don't want to say regular what in, in USAG or NGA, that's the difference between like a nine Oh and a nine seven, like that gap of a nine, nine to a 10. It's crazy Huge. to the yeah. point where somebody gets only a nine, nine and it's like, Oh, uh, <laughs> that oh we're pretty happy. I still think nine nines across the board, that one ninety eight. that's still pretty, dumb. that'll do it. That'll usually get you. That'll keep yeah. you in the top three in the country for sure. So do you still keep up? Do you still watch? Are you are you a fan? Not really, not too much. Um, I try to watch George on TV a little bit. I go to the meets once in a while. Um, not really. I try to follow the SECs a little bit. I haven't been to the national championships in a few years. Um, you know, my life has just changed. I do enjoy it. And, you know, I may go again. Sometimes when I'm home in Athens, I take my granddaughter, who's five. I like to take her to the meets. So we went to a few uh, last year. Um I think were they? Uh, yeah, I think it was last year. No, we didn't even have meets last year. I can't remember, but I take her, and I'll be yeah. planning to take her this year. Yeah. So, but other than that, I don't really follow it that much. I know that. Um, gosh, it's so competitive with so many teams now. There are so many great teams out there. It's it's Ooh, a showcase of it's superstars. It's, it's awesome. Intense. Yes. Uh, it's exciting. It's exciting for the fans. I'm so pumped for you know Auburn to come to Georgia this year. I'll definitely go to that meet because. Mm-hmm. The you know, Lee be, show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what's it like watching your your once athlete that you coached now in charge? What is that like for you? Well, the first, I worked with her for two years, mm-hmm. you know, the first couple of years. So, um, I, and I, I work full time, every meet, every practice, every meeting. Um, and it's been great to see her, you know, develop. I, I always knew she was a great technical coach and I really admire her skills technically, uh, she can really relate to the athlete in terms of, you know, her coaching, particularly on balance beam. She can, and, and bars, she goes over to bars quite a bit and she can really relate because um, she's, she's done everything and yeah, she can she do everything. So mm-hmm. she can break it down from a different level, you know, more from how it feels. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, a really good quality from all these high level athletes that are now going into coaching. That's, that's a real strength now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's great to watch her. I think, uh, you know, it's, it's different. It's a different day and age. I mean, I was all in, I, I don't even think I had a family. I mean, I had a family, but I, I was all in Georgia gymnastics 24 hours a day. I feel so bad for, for my family because there were just so many sacrifices, you know, that they had to make and definitely affected my marriage. It's, it's just, um, it's, it's a 24 hour job. Uh, and I think that's why you don't see a lot of, you know, female head coaches that are 
you know, really, really uh, successful because of the commitment that it takes and, and what it can take away from the family if you can't figure out a way to blend it. And Courtney's got, you know, a challenge on her hands with young children all under the age of five um, and, uh, and a husband that's a pilot. So his schedule is changing all the time. Uh, so you have to be pretty darn organized, but that's one thing about Courtney is, is she is organized. I'm very proud of her for the fact that she um, has been able to take on this job. I've always felt like the Georgia job should go to a Georgia athlete, um, a Georgia alum. I've always felt very strongly that that's who it needs to be. And do you see major changes or do you feel like she's kind of following in your footsteps down to the meetings and the outside of the gym stuff? I, I don't. I don't know. I haven't really talked to her for about a year and a half. And so I'm really pretty much totally disconnected from the team now. Um, so I'm not really sure exactly, you know, what she's doing. Um, I think she has, I, I, I honestly, I don't know what she's doing right now. I know when I was there, you know, a couple of years ago, we did all of those things. We had those Monday meetings. I gave her my files, my, my uh, stuff that I had collected. I always wanted to write a book about team chemistry because uh, I feel like that was my strength and the reason for our success as I've alluded to already. Um, and so I gave her all my material and we used it a lot for two years. So she knows how to apply it, but you know, everybody executes things differently. And um, you know, she has a very different personality than I do. She's, she's a very, you know, tunnel vision focused person. I'm like broad and big and see everything on every side of me. I don't ever miss a trick. Right. So um, we're very different types of coaches for sure. Um, but you know, I wish you the best. So in the, at the beginning you were, what role did you have? Was it a uh, volunteer? I was volunteer. Mm-hmm. I was volunteer coach. What does that even mean? There's assistant head coach, associate assistant. Like what are these roles? I, I, or are they simply titles? It just means you're That's not paid. It? Pretty much. And you're not a student. And I, you know, I had volunteer coaches through my career. Some were great. I usually had uh, fifth year students or an athlete that had graduated has to be somebody that lives in town and doesn't need to make any money. So it's hard right. to really, you know, have someone that's amazing. Yeah. Um, I was able to have Delene Darst one year, you know, a judge for two years, actually, she drove from Atlanta and, you know, she was, you know, an elite judge. And so it was great to have her on, on the staff during that period of time. But a lot of times we had just athletes. So there was sort of student assistance. Mm-hmm. Uh, now you can pay your volunteer coach through your summer camps. And so a lot of people are, you know, able to make a good, hunk of money right then yeah. during summer camps and then be the volunteer. Um, so it basically is different at different schools. Sometimes it's two days a week. I think yeah. Katie is the volunteer now and she just comes over from Atlanta a couple of days a week, once or twice a week. I was there every day, yeah. all day. So I was full time, not paid basically was my role. And um, I was involved in everything in every aspect of the program, except for recruiting. Volunteer right. coaches cannot recruit. And was that was that strictly because Courtney was taking on a new role and you wanted to be there to support, or was that you? No, wanted- she asked me. She yeah. asked me. Yes, yes. She asked me, and I think it was just you know she didn't have any college experience except for the one year she was a student assistant with Jay Clark. Um, she had a lot of experience coaching, but not in the yeah. college setting with that age group and being in charge. So um, she just needed some mentorship. And, uh, you know, we had meetings every day and talked about, you know, every little thing. Uh, she ran the practices, but we, again, I brought in the team coaching. And so all the yeah. coaches would agree together, you know, what the plan was for the week. Uh, I like to have a plan for a week as a coach versus a day because, and I, I gave our plan for the week to the athletes and let them choose the days. 
Uh, you know, a lot of coaches don't believe in that. And they think, you know, you should be able to do this routine every day. But I believe in bad days and off days. Uh, and, I, and I know that when you're competing, you don't have a choice. The competition is Saturday and you bad know it's day. Saturday and it's a bad day. It's a bad day. So a lot of people think you should practice through bad days. But mm-hmm. I always felt like, you know, those are the days you might get hurt. Those are the days that it's not really worth it. So I would give a week's workout. We, we would give a week's workout and they could pretty much accomplish those, you know, 15 wobble-free routines, however yeah. they wanted to divide it up. Um, so a lot of those kinds of things and the way that we ran practices and all my um, forms for balance beam, I'm very statistical on balance beam. So all of my forms for um, counting points and doing points. And then I had a ranking system. Also, I feel like the athletes should know where they stand. I know some coaches don't tell them the lineup till the last minute. I always felt they should know it like on Wednesday or Thursday. I was going to ask you that. Is that something you discussed in your one-on-one Wednesday meetings? Yes. Yes. I, you know, they asked for it and I said, sure, it's no problem with me. And actually I asked them if they wanted to have that and they all do uh, because I think they need to know where they stand. Um, The seventh person in the lineup always knew to be ready no matter what. Mm -hmm. Um, But I didn't want them to go into a meet wondering whether they were competing or not and having to prove themselves in warmups. That's what practice is for. So yeah, they loved it. Families loved it. You know, they knew going in. And then my first year with Courtney, we even started a thing. I thought it was a, you know, a great idea. I never had it when I was coaching, but for the announcer to actually announce when the girls came out, you know, what event they were competing on tonight, it was in the program. So everybody knew ahead of time. Yeah. So it was great to be, you know, the girls line up and they march up on the stand and it's like competing on bars and floor tonight. And that was a great spectator addition and and something that we added to the program. Yep. So what you're saying the seventh person because that was essentially the alternate, alternate for right. that event. Yeah. So what kind of approaches? Because I would think one of the biggest jobs you have as a college coach is to keep them healthy. So how how hard was that? And how did you deal with, with the inevitable injuries? You know, we always would have, you know, one big one, it seemed like every year, you know, one Achilles or one ACL, just like everyone else. But we never landed on the hard floor. Even on vault, um, we always did. We always did mats. We always did tumbling into the resi with mats piled on top. Um, I didn't have them tumble on the floor unless they wanted to, except for front tumbling passes. And again, gave them a choice. They knew when the inner squad days were. Um, they were all mapped out on the schedule, so they knew they had to be prepared on that particular day. That's how we did our rankings based on inner squad days. But on practice days, they could maneuver their workouts, and I think I believe that really did cut down a lot. I also gave our team personal days. Three days a week. I read this in one of my books in the 90s. I was reading <laughs> a Virginia football coach that did this. Um, but I gave uh, the girls three personal days a semester that they could take off whenever they wanted um, without asking, without telling me why. Mm-hmm. And just had a call and leave a message on the phone that they wouldn't be in practice. Uh, that drives you crazy as a coach because you have a group set up and you think there's going to be. And, and, you know, especially when three decide they're going to take off the same day, it sort of messes up your plans. But yeah. We, you know, I, I kept put that in play in the 98, also 1998, and it was, the girls really loved it. Again, that helped develop the respect between us and um, give them some freedom and choices if they, you know, had a, a bad night because of school or because of, it's usually because of a boyfriend. I didn't want them coming in all torn up, you know, in practice. And I honestly didn't want the distraction. We come to practice to work. So 
Um, and the girls would save up their personal days. They loved to save them up. They thought they could save them for the next semester. Oh, but they, they weren't allowed to do that. Yeah, they weren't allowed. To, I had to I, actually add some rules into the personal days because <laughs> they started maneuvering, like making uh, uh-huh. Thanksgiving break two days longer. And I'm like, no, you can't use it to extend break. <laughs> you did you have something about like the week of a meet or within a certain amount of time of a meet? Oh, they were personal days were only in the fall. I'm sorry, I should have said that. Only in the fall semester. Not during season. Okay. My anxiety just lowered when you clarified that. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Although I think I could do it. You know, one of the things I always wanted to do as a coach and never did was to have no warm ups, just to have the three minute touch, just to have a gym in the back where you can run around and stretch and just take the three minute touch and compete without that, you know, hour warm up. I always wanted to do that. I want to just, uh, I just thought it was silly. And, you know, I, I think traveling the night before was silly. So when Courtney took the job, I said, Courtney, let's try something. Let's just fly to the meets the day of the meet because we had all, all charter flights. I'm like, why do we need to go the day before and sit around in a hotel all night? And it's just too much. It's just, what's the difference? I mean, it's an hour flight. It's a 30 minute flight to Auburn or an hour flight to Alabama. What do we need to go the day before? So we started flying down the day up. Courtney, Courtney went for it, which I was wasn't sure she would, but she did. And the girls loved it. They loved just getting down there and competing. And if they're going to spend the night, they'd prefer to spend after the meet so they could be with their families rather than before the meet. So we did that a lot with, with Courtney. And when I was with Courtney, I don't know if she still does or not. Huh. And that that kind of goes back to what you were saying about beam at the very beginning about we didn't make it such a big deal. And that seems to fall in line with that, right? Like you, you don't have this big buildup of like, counting down the hours and you're there and you're too much time to think about it. Right. Exactly. Yes. Too much time to think about it. Yeah. I love home meets when the girls go to class and, you know, during national championships, when they were in Athens, they always went to class a normalcy. No. Well, that's not normal to the general public, but yes, I understand right. what you're saying. <laughs> Their normal routine. <laughs> I have this tactic that I do when I do clinics, I line it when I'm usually on beam and I'll line the girls up and I'm like, okay, so just go down the line and tell me what flight series you're working. And they'll go down the line and they'll say, handspring layout, handspring, handspring layout, uh, whatever. And then I, I make them start over and okay, I want you to say it again. But this time I want you to go like this. It's just a handspring layout. Just say it different. Give me a gesture. Give me a, give me a just in front of it. And they go down and they think it's funny, but they, they come back at the end and they, they tell me, like they said it when they were up on the beam too. And it's that that demystifying thing. I love that. You know, and with, with coaches, I talk about how, you know, you know this, how powerful our words are and how kids hear everything. And so if you're working in a gym and you've got a kid who did their, her first double back and you go, oh my God, she did it. She did a double back. And it's such a big deal. The little ones are now going, oh, that's really hard and a big deal. And I'm not saying take away the excitement of that achievement because yes, that is a any a kip is a big achievement. Anything is a big achievement, but demystifying it so you're not making it this thing that's so unreachable where you go, oh my gosh, it's happening. They need to feel like that's a normal thing and that's part of gymnastics, and I'm going to be there too. Right, right. Well, that's the difference between coaching kids, you know, and coaching college age athletes. I used to own my own gym in Pennsylvania and uh, actually um, had two of the. Back in the day with Scott Krause and Dick Mulvihill and had actually had two of the original top, two of the top 10 under nine or whatever it was. It was mm-hmm. like a tops thing, but it was like 10 little, 10 little girls and got to 
got to go to a lot of camps with them and learned a lot about coaching. But, you know, that's that's the difference. You have to coach very differently with college age kids. Like I make a big deal. Sometimes I'll say I'll be on one side of the gym and somebody will do something beautifully and I'll just yell, who is that on bars? Who is that person? You know, like that was amazing. And 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 they have to yell back to me. It's Abby, you know. And they have to yell back who it is. So you know, we had that little game going on. But you know, you mentioned semantics, and I am such a semantic person and word person. Um, messaging is so important. It's it's funny. We used to we we did words a lot. You know, Doug McGavin would have a vocabulary word all the time. He actually wrote wrote books, school books, and children's. Oh. And mathematic books and stuff. So he would bring in, you know, different vocabulary words. But I was so big on words, like even with my children, they were not allowed to say hate. And gymnasts, all the gymnasts will tell you, you can't say hate around Suzanne. I hate this person. No, no, we hate cauliflower if we're going to hate anything. <laughs> but we do not use that word. And I would not let them. And quitting is a word that's not in my vocabulary. Um, and, and I would correct them on that. But I think it's very important to choose your words correctly when you're speaking to an athlete. Um, and that's the, that's a problem that a lot of coaches have is just, you know, oh, you don't deserve that scholarship. You know, what are you even here for? And, you know, they probably don't deserve the scholarship and probably shouldn't have it if they're not doing anything and they're not working hard. But there's a way to say things that uh, can get the point across without the hurt. And that's, you know, basically what coaches need to hear and need to know. The yeah. You have the power to make an athlete feel on top of the world and empowered and like they can do anything, but you also have the ability to do the complete opposite and they go mm-hmm. hand in hand and it's a huge power to have. That's right. It is. All right. Wow. You and I can talk, can't we? Let's Forever. go to another video. <laughs> okay. Let's go another video. We could keep going. Can you see what that is? Courtney McCool, Under the Lights. Yeah. Under the Lights. So what was Under the Lights all about? This was a great show. They wanted full access for a week. I said, you got it. Full access. They got me. Every part. Every And it was an intense week. It was right before our Utah meet. Um, don't remember the year. I don't know. I don't remember. Let me see who's there. You got Heenan, McCool, Coupettes. Oh, Coupettes. So. Okay. Oh, Tiffany Tolne. Oh, yeah. That was, hair. We were so good and my hair was growing out. We were so good then. Oh my gosh. It was 2006, 2007. Yeah. We were just rolling during those five years. Oh, Grace Taylor. Gracie oh, Taylor. Yes. She's got so many, three children now. And there's my Doug. Oh, those are some great years. I, I never had so much fun. Whew. Wow. Tiffany Tolne. She was amazing. She was like one of the best athletes we ever had. And young Jay. <laughs> So proud of him. He's been an amazing coach at LSU. Oh, there I am. Yes. So happy. Yeah. These girls were just so incredible. So much fun every single day. And you know what? They walked out and knew they were going to win. They knew they were the best when they entered the arena. I mean, it was like, they just knew it. And they said it. I mean, they would stand there and say, I remember one year in Utah, 2007, when we won, we were being interviewed at the end. And Katie Heenan said, and we're going to win next year, too. I gave her a double look. And I was like, okay. But she said, we're going to win next year, too. And Courtney, goodness, she just never made a mistake, that girl. Except for this weekend at this meet, she actually fell on on beam. And that was a, a a big emotional day for her and for the team. I bet. The first time that you and I met in person, which was at, you know after we had a few phone calls and everything, we met in person was at a UCLA meet. I used to live in California. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Yep. And so we met at that meet and that was her. She got a 10 on beam at that meet. Remember so clearly. Well, she probably didn't do, she didn't do her flip-flop layout up onto the beam then. <laughs> I don't, no, I don't think so. She, she did that one year for the beginning of the season. Yeah, we were pretty intense. Practice was so much fun. Oh my gosh, it was just, music was blaring and hugs all around. And I remember in, in, on the vaulting, we would work out. We'd had five sticks in a row and we're done for the day. Everything oh. was always, you know, a challenge. And short practices. I was big on short practices. So they would stick five in a row every practice. We'd do it one time and be done. Yep. That makes sense. Oh, so I, I remember seeing this and it, I don't know if it was this episode because there were four different parts to it. So you guys that are listening, this is you can look this up on YouTube and I'll have it in the show notes. It says UGA Gymnastics Under the Lights. And there's a four parts to it. We're watching part one. And but one of them was showing you guys were at an away meet and you you stuck to your, it must've been that you were there on a Wednesday because you did your one-on-ones in a hotel room with each athlete. And that was the first time for me that I saw how much went into coaching NCAA. And I realized now that not everybody was doing that. So I should rephrase that into how much goes into successfully coaching in NCAA gymnastics. And and it was, I had, I had already learned about what you had done marketing wise and was like, holy cow, um, that's a whole other skill set than coaching. But then seeing that interaction and seeing the amount of time outside of the gym that was spent to put, to get what happens out on the floor, um, just really, really mind blowing to me. Yeah. We, we always met in the hotel room. We'd always have conversations and, uh, you know, they would be intense. I, I again, I wanted everyone to know who was competing, who was going when who and and there was some there were some pretty heavy conversations in some of those meetings before meets that people don't know about now that um determined the outcome of the meet in terms of like last minute changes particularly um during nationals between the first and second day you know who competed the first day who was going to compete the second day um because if you look back at the records we won almost every first day i think all but one um, we won the first day and the second day. I always felt like the first day was set the stage for winning the championship. Um, but our lineups would change and the order of the lineups would change. It was a very strategic uh, decisions made um, for a lot of reasons, depending on what event we were starting on. I would change lineups depending on that and, um, you know, things, you know, things of that nature. So did you have restrictions, though, as you know, I'm just thinking about like in the Olympics, right? Like you can't just switch your lineup the day of, it's got to be, at a, you know, within a certain time frame and name submitted. How, how late are you actually able to make those changes? Uh, you can switch the lineup uh, right up to the start of the meet. And once the competition starts, if you make a switch, you have to substitute the person into the same spot. So if I was to take out Katie Heenan in number six, I'd have to put the next person in the number six position. Number six spot. Gotcha. Yeah. But you could change. Um, I don't remember ever changing. I, I, I honestly don't think that we ever did make a change unless somebody, you know, rolled an ankle or something or, and if, if somebody was having problems in warmups and I would say to them, you know, if they could look me in the eye and say, I got this, then I, they still competed. A lot of, a lot of good athletes have problems in warmups and come out and nail it. Yeah. <laughs> if, if I told everybody are... that had problems in warmups, we wouldn't have these championships. <laughs> Well, I hope you're having a good time in the show and you become a listener because you will hear so many incredible stories about just that right there. 
Just that right there. I, Kyle Schufelt was on the other day, Olympic gold medalist on floor, and he could not stick for the life of him in warmups. And then went in and didn't move. He was like a statue every time he landed. Um, so many just awesome stories like that. You know, it makes oh, it exciting. There's so, many, there's so many athletes like that. Yeah. So many. We're going to go to our last video. We're going to change the pace a little bit. Oh, I wanted to say something about that last video. Although you yeah. But you didn't show that part. Fourth part of the third part when there was the meeting after Courtney fell on beam. That was because this was a back-to-back meet with Utah. And then we went to Stanford mm-hmm. and that was a big meeting. Cause what happened is Courtney was doing a new mount, a flip-flop layout up, uh, back handspring layout. And, you know, I always encourage the girls to do, to push themselves. If they wanted to do a high level skills, they could, mm-hmm. um, there was a certain percentage I wanted them to have on beam before they could, you know, or we changed the beam routine, but for Courtney, it was her junior year, I think, or it was, you know, it was later in her career and she really wanted to do this. And I said, she could. So we got to meet and she was maybe 70% hitting, like not normally what I would allow, but I let her do it. So we went to Utah and um, Tiffany Tolney fell and Courtney was last. And we would, we won if Courtney stayed on. Now Courtney, when she, when she warmed up, she missed two out of three. So uh, all of the girls are standing there and Courtney is getting ready to mount. They're all holding hands. Like they're so nervous. Like, oh my God, please do it. And Courtney missed. And we ended up losing the meet. So we get on the plane, you know, whatever. We fly to Stanford. I don't ever discuss anything after a meet with the girls. Um, I might just say, good job, or, or, you know, one or two words. But we have our meeting on Monday to discuss the competition because okay. I don't want to react and I want to think about it. Yeah. Um, but we got to the hotel in, at Stanford. We had a, a circle up. And I said, who here didn't think Courtney would make the mount? Doubted Courtney on the mount. And it was like, you know, I think Audrey, uh, Audrey Bowers put her hand up first. And then, you know, like five or six or seven hands go up, you know, and, um, and I put my hand up that I doubted her. And Courtney's crying, of course, hysterical that it's her fault that we lost the knee, blah, 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 blah. And I said, this is why Courtney missed that mount. Oh, wow. Because she felt everything that you guys were sending her way. And, and you know what? And I, I really didn't want Courtney to take the burden. I just got chills. <laughs> yeah. You know, I have really good intuition. And I really coached a lot by my intuition. And I just felt at that moment that that was just, she wouldn't get over that. That, that, that she would carry that. So it was more to release Courtney from the responsibility and her see that, I mean, if I had just told her that, it wouldn't have had the same impact right. on her as everybody being in the room. And um, she came to me and said she didn't want to do it anymore before the Stanford meet. And she didn't ever compete it again, but yeah. she had a great meet at Stanford. <laughs> yeah. that, wow. What a, I'm so glad you stopped me to tell That's me that. That's, that is a yeah. great story. Yeah. yeah. Just just flipping that. I like that you said release her from that because it's true. We Gymnasts do that. It, even if, even if that was an individual thing, you, you do your harp on your mistakes and you relive it in your head. And I remember watching myself at nationals fall on a double pike and I watched it over and over and over again. And my mom walks past and she goes, do you think if you watch it one more time, you're going to land it? Like, <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I'm Probably like, <laughs> the worst thing you did was to watch the fall. I would never have an athlete watch a fall. Ever. Oh my gosh. I was, I just couldn't, Anyway, but yeah, so I, I love that that phrase of releasing her 
from that. That's really wonderful. And that's the team stuff. Yeah. That's what's missing from a lot of gymnastics outside of NCAA. Okay. Let's get to this last video here. We're, we're switching gears here. Oh, this. <laughs> oh, this. With Sarah Patterson, Suzanne. Oh, geez. So the summer 2022 season of Precision Camps is fully booked. And here are the dates and locations. Roanoke, Virginia, June 13th to the 16th. Essex, Vermont, June 20th to the 23rd. And then get this, we've got two back-to-back -back Massachusetts camps. And for these, there's actually an offer of buy one camp, get one half off. So I encourage you to jump on that. The Massachusetts camps are July 18th to the 21st in Stoughton, Massachusetts, and July 25th to the 28th in North Andover, Massachusetts. Then we have Rhode Island, August 22nd to the 25th. These camps are for all competitive levels and leagues of women's gymnastics, including technical training on all events by world-class clinicians, artistry training developed by Precision Choreography's team of amazing choreographers, judging insight by top judges, mental toughness training, and injury prevention education. There are also opportunities for individual sessions for private lessons in choreography. And these camps have unparalleled coaches' education. Info and registration can be found at precisionchoreo.com forward slash registration. That's precisionchoreo.com forward slash registration. This show is brought to you by Creatively Disruptive, the marketing team behind your team. You've heard me talk about them before and I'm going to keep doing it because they're amazing. Check them out at creativelydisruptive.com. They can help your gym increase revenue, increase numbers, and help you understand the steps it took to get there so that you can continue to progress. Oh, this. Oh, this. With Sarah Patterson, Suzanne. Oh, geez. So this is the Sarah and Suzanne documentary. I love so much. I didn't like it, um, personally. But, you know, for whatever reason, everybody thought it was great. They thought it showed competitiveness and they showed me so intense, which I am, but um, I didn't care for it because I felt like the editor, producers, they had a story they wanted to tell and they fit all the video in to tell the story they wanted to tell. Oh, and that's a hundred percent what everything is. That's why I had the conversation with you before this, letting you know that I'm not trying to dig. I don't have an agenda. I just want it to be, you know, I want you to speak freely. Um, your words are not going to get twisted because I've had it happen to me in a newspaper article for the New York Times. I read it and I'm like, who are they talking about? I guess I said that, but not in that order. And that's, that's Hollywood. That is what they yeah. do every single time. So I always want to make sure my guests know I'm not going to do that. Well, you know, the story to me depicted me as being very hard, uh, especially like the part where it said to Karen Litchie, don't fall. I mean, it was, a, I remember it. It was like a joke. I would never say that to an athlete. And um, I never said what not to do. I'm a good enough coach to know you don't say what not to do. Mm -hmm. And it, it's, it's like they found everything that just would fit in to me being, you know, hard. And I'm really the opposite. I'm a very soft coach in a lot of ways, empathetic. And um, they showed nothing, nothing of that. And that's, you know, the main reason I don't think it depicted my personality. It did depict, you know, the rivalry, but my favorite quote in the whole thing, they didn't even put in. And they asked me, I can remember sitting there and they asked me, you know, what I thought of the rivalry. And I said something like, well, it's really, it's really not one now. I mean, 
we've won 10 and they've won or whatever it was. I said something to the fact that, you know, they haven't beat us in six years or five, whatever the number was. I don't remember. But, you know, early in the 90s and late in the 80s, there was certainly back and forth, back and forth between the two teams. They'd win one. We'd win one. They'd win one. We and I'm talking about nationals. Yeah. And dual meets. And and then we started having, you know, home and away dual meets to build fan attendance. And Sarah and I both were marketing and she was extremely did extremely good at it uh, herself in her own right and very involved as I was. And uh, we picked up a lot on each other, but she was more competitive against me when it came to outside things than I was with her. Like she came up to me. I remember one meet when there were fire, we had fireworks and she said, oh, we would have had fireworks, but the fire marshal wouldn't let us. It was almost like, oh, instead of like being happy that we did it and maybe broke the ice so that she can, it was like, well, she didn't like that I did it first. And so right, right. Well, it, we were both so competitive. And so that's the reason that we really knocked heads a lot because we had a lot of competitions against each other. But yeah, it was great for college gymnastics, the show. It was great to show marketing and building and, and, you know, building the attendance and what can be done and the enthusiasm and making gymnastics bigger. It definitely impacted the whole world of gymnastics because that came out, you know, even before the SEC network and Friday Night Lights and everything we have now. Um, but personally, I didn't care for it about me, the part about right. the, right. the way it portrayed me. But that's the story of my life because everybody sort of saw me from a distance differently than I was. I mean, even our recruits, and they'll tell you today, they were scared to death when they met me. They were scared to death when they came to the gym. Even even the girls on Courtney's team, you know, Rachel Lucas, who I adore and talk to often, said, you know, I was so scared when I came and I found out you're going to be the voluntary coach. And, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, I don't know, this image I portray uh, that's, just really not me because I'm so, I feel like I'm very easy to talk to. I'm a people person all the way around. Um, sometimes to my own demise because I have an opinion about everything. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I I was a little nervous too, I have to say. And I, was, I remember hanging up the phone with you the first time and I was like, oh, she's so nice. Like, <laughs> like I was surprised or something. <laughs> but it is, it's, it's selective too. We're seeing selective pieces of, of what you're doing and how you're reacting. And we're seeing the exciting stuff, which yes, that can be intimidating. So again, point of the show is the personality behind the persona. And I'm glad that you're able to show that today. And I, I appreciate you sharing that with us. Thank you. I, I've had so much fun on the show today. Oh, I'm so glad. I just have uh, two final questions for you and they're right. relatively short. Uh, one of them, you have a choice. I'm just going to give you keywords. It's either has to do with shrimp or karaoke. <laughs> Ooh, which one is shrimp? Okay, very deep question for you. And I, I used to do this all the time. I gave it a break, but I'm bringing it back with you. Why is it that when you go to a restaurant, even the highest end restaurant or a total run of the mill, and you order a meal with shrimp, and I'm not talking about shrimp cocktail because that's different, pasta in a soup, why are the tails still on? Because it takes more time to cut them off. Time. Time for the chef? Yeah, the chef. takes more time for the chef to cut them off. So at a high-end restaurant where they won't even let my drink get half empty without refilling it again, because God forbid I have to tilt my hand too much, you're so catered to, you want me digging in my pasta and digging in my soup to pull off the tail. I I just would think it's (laughs) pure business because... (laughs) 
they fill up your drink because they're making more money every time they fill up your drink. And so, you know, a good high-end restaurant is going to serve you your drinks right away, immediately, and keep filling up the glass. I don't know because I never order shrimp. I think it's disgusting to have shrimp and pasta in the first place. And if you go to Italy, they would never put fish in. in, No, they wouldn't. Their thought is, we're going to get them drunk enough that they don't care that there's tails on their shrimp. No, I don't know. (laughs) That's a good question. You need to ask some chefs. I think you need to ask some chefs. But I've never seen a tail in a high end. I've never noticed it. So I don't know why they would do it. I don't know. I'm so practical. It's so funny though, because every time I do this, I get the same reaction. There's this silence of like, why the hell are you asking me that? And then the wheels start turning and it's like, wait a second. Why is that? You, you got to go back and listen. I had Judge Rosemary Aquilina on here uh-huh. for 10 minutes trying to figure it out and getting all worked up. Like, Oh, I, I was sitting here thinking, is there, is there a writing? Oh no. Justin Spring came up with a, a sub market of people that take the shrimp tails and turn them into this bisque powder. And then that's going to offset the time spent. Like people get very into this question. So I'm glad that you got a little ticked off. I was just like, what? I don't have any idea. (laughs) I guess it's good to see how a person will react. What's this karaoke question? Yeah. What was your karaoke question? I don't do karaoke, so that's why I stay away from I figured. It's, because I can't sing. <laughs> well, it's better when you can't sing. That's the whole <clears throat> presentation's half the party. All right. My last question for you, though, is when I say the word joy, what does that make you think? My grandchildren. Children. Um, people. I think of people. The people in my life, my husband, my family, kids, all kids everywhere. People, people give me the most joy. Wonderful. I'm sure you've given a lot of people joy yourself. Thank you. Yeah. Well, so. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me. I hope you enjoyed the, the trip down yeah. memory lane. And- uh, I got an alumni party next week, actually, um, at my condo in Atlanta. We do alumni events all the time. It's so fun. Um, we had one in Charlotte, North Carolina, a couple weeks ago with about 20 girls. Oh, nice. So it's so fun. And I actually pride myself in knowing all of the gym dog grandchildren of mine, all the names. Yep. So I can that's... name about every one of them. I think there's a hundred, we're up to like 192 right now. Oh something my like gosh. that. Someone's keeping count. <laughs> well, I noticed even when you were recalling meets from, you know, the eighties and nineties and you're just like, oh, that team had so-and-so you had their first name and their last name readily available. Oh, so. I know their husband's names and their kids' names. Yeah. I love it. That's, that's, <laughs> that's the way I stay in touch. You did ask me how I stay involved if I keep watching, but I stay in touch through alumni events. We had, yeah. uh, and I don't know if you know this story, but it's a, it's a great story. It was on uh, ESPN once or twice maybe on sports channel, but one of my gymnasts, Leah Brown met another one of my gymnasts, Courtney Zuniga, or her name was Courtney Pratt, 10 years younger at our Sea Island retreat beach reunion and got to be friends. And then Courtney ended up carrying Leah's twins being the surrogate for Leah's twins. And cause oh, she couldn't carry her own children. Call. Yeah. And she had three at the time she had four of her own children under the age of six, four of her own children and carried twins. That that woman is a saint. Yep, yeah, but it's a cool connection, you know, with the longs. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to end it on that beautiful note. Thank you so much again. It's great and good to see you again. I hope I get to see you at a meet. Oh Maybe my gosh, we'll I hope so too. Bump into each other. I would love that. Good luck with this, and I will keep watching. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Bye. 
And there you have it. Thank you, Suzanne, for joining me for such a long and interesting conversation. Hope you guys all enjoyed it. Remember, you can see some of these conversations on our YouTube channel forward slash what makes you think podcast. And I would definitely encourage you to check out the gymnastics conversations playlist. There's some good stuff in there. And please don't forget to subscribe. And I want to point out that we've got now 76 countries listening to the show on a regular basis. So thank you, everyone. And I'm going to make it a point to take the time to acknowledge each and every one of you. Thanks again, guys. And until next week, keep thinking outside the box. Bye.